You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with Judicial Watch's weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us during this holiday week. I hope you all had a wonderful Independence Day. Uh, of course, the work never stops here at Judicial Watch, so there's a lot to report to you about our never-ending fight against government corruption and for transparency here in Washington, D.C. We have several new lawsuits, or at least two new lawsuits to talk about, targeting deep state corruption, uh, the abusive Mueller operation, uh, plus we have some information about some disturbing developments in this anti-Trump violence wave that is sweeping the left and, frankly, uh, partisans who don't like President Trump. So a lot to talk about there that's disturbing, and we'll give you some action items that you can follow up on uh, in terms of standing against uh, this effort to promote lawlessness and violence against uh, politicians and policies that uh, leftists don't like. Uh, But first up is... uh, a new lawsuit that we filed against uh, the Justice Department, the Mueller operation, over that illicit raid of uh, Michael Cohen, who is, uh, at least then, was President Trump's personal lawyer. And you may recall, uh, some time ago, the raid took place, and it was extraordinary in the sense it rarely happens that a lawyer is raided by the Justice Department. It rarely happens. They don't do it for mob lawyers. They don't do it for drug kingpin lawyers. Uh, They just don't do it. But if you're the president's lawyer, if you're President Trump's lawyer, all bets are off when it comes to the rule of law because the Justice Department, uh, run by Mueller, at least in this area, is uh, targeting Trump and the rules and ethics are going out the window. And so they had this outrageous raid of Cohen's office uh, that led to the collection of millions of documents. And Cohen obviously is facing a lot of pressure as a result of the raid. But, you know, Judicial Watch uh, just isn't, you know, there was a controversy about the raid when it took place back in um, April or so, I think April 9th. So Washington moves on. But Judicial Watch asked questions about this corruption that everyone's talking about, and then something else happens and they move along. And that's not what Judicial Watch does. We file Freedom of Information Act requests. In this case, we filed three requests uh, to various offices in the uh, Justice Department for records about the raid. And what had happened was that Mueller had decided he wanted this information, it looks like, based on public reports. Uh, But he recognized that to target the president's lawyer like this, Mr. Cohen, was a bridge too far for him. So he pawned it off on the Justice Department and the Southern District of New York, which is the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, district up there, and they conducted the raid. And as I said, it was unusual and unprecedented in scope. Uh, And uh, as best I can tell, uh, it hasn't ever been done with any other high-level public official under investigation. It's never been done. And uh, the president's lawyers had to go in and intervene and try to protect attorney-client privilege. And indeed, there were 12,000 documents that were privileged and shouldn't be viewed by the government's lawyers. Uh, It was found after a review of the 4 million documents seized by the raid. I just can't imagine there are 4 million documents, but I guess that's the number. Uh, So what we're asking for is basic information about communications between Mueller and the Justice Department about the raid, what precipitated it and such. 
Uh, and uh, the Justice Department is in full cover-up mode, full stonewall mode on this. They have ignored our request. And isn't it ironic, the Justice Department, the agency charged with enforcing the Freedom of Information Act, refuses to comply with the Freedom of Information Act and comply with the law. We sue when an agency refuses our request or unlawfully holds documents. And unfortunately, with the Justice Department, they just ignore requests. So talk about lawlessness. And uh, this is not something that is uh, acceptable. It wasn't acceptable during the Obama administration, and it ought not to be acceptable during this administration. And Mr. Sessions and, and Rod Rosenstein and uh, the rest of the top echelon of the Justice Department and the FBI, and frankly, Mr. Mueller, need to stop obstructing and stonewalling legitimate requests for information. You know, we're not asking for state secrets. We're not asking for communications that would uh, tell us what they're thinking about in terms of, oh, they have uh, particularly uh, privileged information about uh, a crime that took place. We're just asking for basic information about how the raid took place and basic documents like that. And we're getting to Stonewall. And again, it's up to Judicial Watch to provide oversight of Mueller. What strikes me is that Congress is very critical in asking documents about how the Russia investigation began, about um, uh, the dossier, about Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, all of which are appropriate. And of course, the IG report has confirmed uh, that there were shenanigans in terms of anti-Trump activity at senior levels of the FBI at the beginnings of the Russia investigation, and that IG investigation is ongoing. But they refuse to bring Mueller in. They refuse to hold Mueller to account. They refuse, Congress does, to provide oversight of, of the Robert Mueller investigation. I keep on calling him Mueller. I guess it's Mueller. And the Mueller investigation uh, needs to be held accountable the way any other government activity would be. Mueller is now uh, has, I think, 17, 18 prosecutors working for him officially. Uh, Judicial Watch has been unable to find any registered Republicans among those prosecutors. Uh, there are plenty of Democratic donors. I think we're aware of one Republican donor, but that donor gives to both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, but no registered Republicans among Mueller's team. Also, of course, you had the issue of Peter Strzok, who was an anti-Trump activist, who was running the Mueller FBI side of the investigation uh, up until July of last year. He was fired or removed from the investigation, but Mueller or the Justice Department didn't tell anyone about it. So you've got this issue of the Mueller operation being corruptly formed, spending a lot of money, so he should be asked about that, and uh, his handling of anti-Trump bias and his hiring decisions at, on, his, on his team. So why isn't the Justice Department and the Mueller uh, being asked about that by Congress? Mueller can testify. You know, you can protect, let's say the Mueller is conducting an investigation which is privileged in the sense that Congress shouldn't be messing around with a prosecutor asking him about the specifics of a criminal investigation. No, no, no. I'm talking about the general administrative actions uh, related to Mueller's operation, how he handled Peter Strzok, the anti-Trumper, whether he has concerns about other bias there. Uh, you had Comey leak records in a way. Uh, Comey, James Comey, the former FBI director, leaked FBI records to get Mueller appointed. 
You should be asked about that. What did he know and when about his appointment? Did he know that Comey had leaked the record specifically to get a special counsel appointed at the time? Does he have any concerns that's, that's impacted and uh, undermined the credibility of his investigation? You know, uh, Mueller, by the way, also, according to reports this week, is using resources from outside his official special counsel's office to support his wide-ranging and out-of-control investigation. So we know about all the prosecutors, in theory, that work for him directly, but now he's, he's, uh, he's asking other, doc other uh, agencies within the Justice Department, the FBI and such, and other lawyers in the Justice Department to support his work because he's doing so much. So rather than get the resources officially, he's unofficially dragooning Justice Department and FBI resources into his gargantuan operation. So who's asking these questions about Mr. Mueller? Only Judicial Watch. We sued for budget information. We sued for information about collusion between Mueller and, and, and Comey. We're asking about this raid that Mueller engaged in through the Southern District of New York and the FBI on Cohen's offices. You know, and let me talk to you a little bit about that raid. We did a, a, a panel about a month or two ago, I guess it's two months ago now, about the deep state, about the Russia investigation. And we had on a panelist, Tony Schaefer, who uh, is a great guy, uh, veteran, intelligence official. Uh, he knows uh, where the bodies are buried and, and knows how to, uh, uh, and knows pretty a lot of what, about what's going on in terms of the way the deep state operates, because he's seen it up close when he was officially in the government. And uh, Tony said during this panel that he knew there were FBI agents who refused to participate in the Cohen raid because they knew it was, it was no good. Think about that. There are FBI agents who refused to raid the lawyer of the President Trump because they knew it was inappropriate. Now, Tony made that allegation. I don't know if it's true other than I know Tony, and I trust Tony. But this is the sort of information we're asking about. And this is the sort of information this Justice Department is withholding from you, the American people, because that's what we're asking for it on behalf of. You know, when Judicial Watch gets these documents, we put them out for everyone to see. We get documents that Congress can't even get oftentimes. Congress isn't in court suing for this information, uh, but Judicial Watch is. And along those lines, there's this big issue about the CIA and its abuse under Barack Obama and maybe even during the Trump presidency uh, in terms of targeting the Trump team as part of the Spygate, Russiagate scandal. And John Brennan was the CIA director under uh, President Obama. And he's proved himself to be an unhinged Trump hater unhinged Trump hater. How do I know this? Because I read his tweets. And if you go on Twitter and read John Brennan's tweets, at, I think it's at John Brennan, uh, you'll see tweets like the following. I need to put on my disguise here so I can see what is going on. And the tweets are when the full, this is, what, this is by Obama's former CIA director. So someone we're supposed to be able to trust 
When the full, and he's referencing Mr. Trump, President Trump. This tweet was in March. When the full extent of your, vin of your venality, moral turpitude, and political corruption becomes known, you will take your rightful place as a disgraced demagogue in the dustbin of history. You may scapegoat Andy McCabe, who was, corrupt, who was fired for corruption, but you will not destroy America. America will triumph over you. And then he referenced Trump having a, I haven't heard this word before, uh, khakistocracy, which is very negative. You don't want to be a member of a khakistocracy because uh, it's the worst of the worst running the show. And, uh, you know, he's warning Trump that the special counsel is going to get him. This guy hates Donald Trump. It's a great country. You have a right to your beliefs. But is it any surprise when you see this sort of vituperative hatred directed at President Trump by John Brennan, Obama's CIA director, that the CIA and FBI and DOJ may have abused their authorities in targeting then-candidate Trump? Did Brennan just decide on, on Inauguration Day that he hated Donald Trump? No way, Jose. No way. And sure enough, it looked like he was doing illicit things while he was CIA director. Specifically, he was leaking information under the guise of, quote, briefs to Senator Harry Reid, who then would go and leak it to the media. And what had happened was that uh, just before uh, there was a book out called, Oh, this is too small even for my glasses. Russian Roulette. It's by Mike Isakoff and David Korn, uh, two liberal reporters. Uh, and Brennan contacted Reid on August 24, 2016, in the middle of the campaign uh, to brief him on the state of Russia's interference in the presidential campaign. Uh, after the briefing, Reid wrote a letter to the FBI director, James Comey, which was public, saying that there was information of direct connections between the Russian government and Donald Trump's presidential campaign, which really was baloney. That was Clinton DNC dossier material. Reid called on Comey to investigate the links thoroughly in a timely fashion. Now, Reid is a smart politician. And according to the book, Reid saw Brennan's briefing as a signal that he wanted to get it out. He said there was a sign of urgency Reed also had the impression that Brennan had an ulterior motive. He concluded the CIA chief believed the public needed to know about the Russia operation, including the information about possible links to the Trump campaign. So you had Obama's CIA director, according to this book, so briefing Harry Reid in a way so as to guarantee that classified information would be inappropriately released to the American people. Now, as you know, there are questions about the CIA's role in Spygate, as well as the FBI's role in Spygate, and Spygate being the specific aspect of the uh, Obama administration attack on Trump that included recruiting spies and informants to infiltrate the campaign or sucker campaign officials into uh, providing um, information or... Uh, or cornering them into doing something wrong, perhaps, that they could l later use against them, which evidently they weren't able to do much of in the way of that. So what we did was we asked for records 
about Brennan's communications with Reid, this briefing of Congress. And it was a very specific request, and sure enough, the CIA never responded to us. So once again, we have, um, you know, we've got the CIA director who has these unhinged attacks on President Trump, providing circumstantial evidence that he was abusing his authority and the CIA was abused on his watch when he was working for Obama to target President Trump. And unfortunately, you've got the deep state CIA both protecting itself and corruption in the Obama administration. And it's only Judicial Watch that's in court asking for these records. It's only Judicial Watch. I'm not aware of any media doing it. Congress isn't in court. And uh, this shows you why Judicial Watch work is, our work is so important. It's because we're independent. We go into court to sue for records. When Congress asks for records, it's a political back and forth. It's a battle. And uh, sometimes they get records, sometimes they don't. And if they don't, there's not much they can do about it. Or they've been unwilling to do much about it. There's plenty they can do about it. And uh, this leads to the other issue. Uh, there's this uh, possibility that Peter Strzok may testify on Tuesday. Well, Congress still doesn't have all the records. Subpoenas have been ignored by the Justice Department and the FBI. They still don't have all the emails. They still don't have all the memos and such about the targeting of Donald Trump. And Congress, again, is threatening impeachment and contempt if that doesn't happen. Well, you know, that's all well and good. And if impeachment's warranted, then pursue it because it's accountability. Uh, but, uh, you know, the contempt, what, what happens if you're in contempt of Congress? You may wonder. You have to rely on the Justice Department to prosecute it. So the Justice Department is going to prosecute congressional contempt against itself or its own top officials. It isn't going to happen. Now, in my view, Congress isn't being strong enough in getting these documents out. If they wanted the documents, they would get the documents. They wouldn't have to threaten contempt or impeachment. But if contempt is to have any meaning, in, uh, for Congress anymore. They have to stop relying on, on the Justice Department to prosecute. Because the Justice Department usually is the agency that is either defending the refusal to turn over documents, defending the lack of cooperation by government officials or executive branch officials. So what can the Congress do? Well, impeachment can lead the to the removal of office from offending officials. But the House can impeach, and that requires only a majority vote, but it's only the Senate that can uh, remove someone after a trial. That requires two-thirds vote. So that's unlikely to happen. So that leaves contempt. Well, how is it they can reform the contempt enforcement power so as to make it a significant threat to members of the executive branch? Well, it used to be that Congress would enforce its own contempt against members of the executive branch. So if you were a cabinet official or a senior government official and you were in contempt of Congress for refusing to provide testimony or evidence or documents, Congress would arrest you. So you would be detained by Congress to vindicate the contempt, to vindicate Congress's rights in this contempt issue. 
Now, it doesn't mean you're denied rights to due process and such, but Congress has its own inherent authority, frankly, to arrest cabinet officials who are in contempt of Congress. Now, you may not know that history, and you raise that on the Hill, they have a heart attack. And obviously, they would have a heart attack over at the Justice Department if that was raised. Uh, but I tell you, it, it, that's the way to do it. And if they want to be serious about it, they would use that, that arrow in their constitutional quiver against recalcitrant uh, cabinet officials and high-level government officials who refuse to turn over records. So that's something to think about. And go ahead and Google it. It's an interesting history about um, congressional contempt and the enforcement powers. And you'll see that Congress used to arrest cabinet officials and detain them, jail them, right up here on the Hill, uh, when they refused to turn over information. Uh, something else that's important is the, and it's disturbing because it's really kind of metastasized over the last few weeks, especially with Congressman Maxine Waters, who uh, last weekend, or the week before last, was addressing a rally in Los Angeles, <clears throat> and she called on that crowd and her allies generally to uh, basically provide, um, to, 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 to engage in riot, intimidation, harassment, violent assault against members of the Trump cabinet. And uh, you can go on YouTube, and we have links available on our website, uh, showing exactly what she said. And she said, if you see a cabinet official in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gas station, you get out, you get a crowd together, and you push back, and let them know they are not welcome anywhere, anytime. And then later she said, you bet you we're going to want to harass these people. Now, when a member of Congress incites violence, and that's violence, that's, quote, pushback is violence. Just think you're at a gas station fueling up, and a crowd on this private piece of property starts confronting you. That's kind of riot. It's necessarily assault, which is also a crime, and, and it's inherently violent. And what is the House of Representatives going to do about this? You know, we filed a complaint, and I told you about this, and I want to follow up on it because it's a, I think it's important that you participate in this process as well. We filed a complaint uh, with the um, House Ethics Body, the Office of Congressional Ethics, and later it would be taken up, if appropriate, by the House Ethics Committee. But this is a matter for the whole House as well. We filed a complaint against Maxine Waters for inciting violence. And the uh, complaint was filed, and the question is, what's going to happen next? Well, in my experience, they won't do anything unless you contact them, meaning you should let your members of the Congress know, your elected representatives, not your senators, but those who represent you in the House, know that they think what Maxine Waters did was terrible, and uh, the House should take a stand against it that they should not allow a House member to use their position uh, to uh, incite violence on other government officials, uh, specifically Trump cabinet officials. The number one rule of the House is that members should act in a way at all times that reflects credibly on the House of Representatives. 
Does Maxine Waters inciting violence, riot, and assault targeting Trump cabinet members reflect credibly on the House? So the choices are they can do nothing, they can reprimand her, which would be a slap on the wrist, censure her, which would be more significant, but still slap on the wrist, or they could expel her. Yes. Any House member can be thrown out by the House in its entirety if their conduct is, is bad enough, egregious enough. So I encourage you to call your House members. You can find who your House member is online. You know, if you don't know who your House member is, I'm not going to yell at you about it. Just look it up. <laughs> Just call or call the House uh, Capitol, uh, the Capitol office, excuse me, uh, call the House at 224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. And let them know what you think about whether Maxine Waters acted in a way that reflects credibly in the House of Representatives in calling on uh, people to get crowds together and push back on members of the Trump cabinet as they try to eat, get gas, maybe take their kids to school, get the basic necessities of life. You know, and, there's, and, and as I said, there's this virus going around among the left who are frustrated because they're losing. And those of you who are conservatives, you know sometimes it's frustrating because you lose too politically. But the, when you lose, you don't engage in violence. So they're going to lose the Supreme Court nomination fight. Is that going to justify violence? They don't like what ICE is doing, so they're publishing the names of ICE law enforcement personnel online in a way as to make their, uh, put them and their families at risk. I see an ICE office was attacked. I see you had lawlessness up in New York this week where you had an immigrant who's now a naturalized U.S. citizen climb the, US, uh, the, the Statue of Liberty, putting herself at risk and the uh, law enforcement at risk and trying to get her down safely. And just recently, uh, just the other day, if you haven't seen the video, you should look at it. There were these two kids sitting in a Whataburger at Texas. One of them was wearing a MAGA hat, Make America Great hat, which is the kind of the, uh, the Trump slogan. It's the red MAGA. Uh, and um, some thug went and took it off, his, ripped it off his head, said terrible things to him and said he was going to throw the hat in the fireplace and walked out with it. And, you know, and this teenager, 16-year-old boy, he and his friend are sitting there shocked. Thankfully, he was arrested. I mean, they thought, you're going to see this. And you, you watch the video if you haven't already, because you're going to be pretty darn upset. You know, targeting a, a young boy, a young teenager. You know, I have a feeling this guy wouldn't target someone like me. It's funny how they go after the week. It's no surprise. But this is a sort of violence. Why, why would we have to worry about showing support for a politician that you like in public? You know, one of the dirty little secrets here, it's, it's the left has always behaved like this. I've lived in Washington, D.C. longer than I will admit to. And one of the things you know, if you put a bumper sticker that has conservative thought on it or a conservative politician on it, your car is likely to be vandalized. And it didn't just start happening yesterday. It's been the case for years here in Washington, D.C. 
Because Washington, D.C. is a basically a liberal area, politically. Where, and has a lot of liberal activists because we're the nation's capital, more specifically. Now, I know not all liberals are violent, but there's this nasty crowd in the leftist movement that is violent. And the politicians like Maxine Waters feed off of that, encourage it, implicitly endorse it, use it as a threat uh, against others who are sensible to get them to do what they want them to do. Just think of the leftist motto, no justice, no peace. That implicit threat of violence. And, um, and this kid who, uh, who was assaulted by uh, this thug, you know, God bless him, because his response was, I support my president, and if you don't, and if you don't let's have a conversation about it instead of ripping my hat off. I just think a conversation about politics is more productive for the entire whole rather than taking my hat and yelling subjective words at me. Uh, you know, I don't know who this kid's parents are, but God bless him, and God bless him for being uh, responding with such maturity and grace in the face of this violent attack, which is what I encourage everyone to do. I mean, you defend yourself if necessary, but I mean, what a dangerous situation we're in. And um, politicians like Maxine Waters need to be held accountable for inciting this type of behavior. And you can bet the Trump cabinet is now under increased security protection as a result. So there are additional costs to taxpayers because of the security threats caused by uh, people like Maxine Waters. I know uh, White House spokesman Sarah Huckabee Sanders now has additional Secret Service protection. You can bet they consulted and thought about what Maxine Waters said in deciding whether to extend the protection to her. So Judicial Watch, you know, now if Congress is left to their own devices, they'll let Maxine Waters do whatever she wants. Only if they hear from you, again, 202-224-3121, will they um, uh, do the right thing or at least feel the need to do the right thing. I don't know if the right thing will happen, uh, but at least you should participate in the process. You know, it's been a great week here uh, at Judicial Watch, particularly for me personally, since this is my 20th anniversary at Judicial Watch. I've been working here for 20 years. I began in 1998. So, uh, you know, as I was jokingly uh, putting out today on Twitter, uh, back when I began in 1998, Hillary Clinton was under federal criminal investigation for uh, stealing and hiding documents that evidence potential criminal misconduct. Boy, the more things change, the more they remain the same. And I thank all of my colleagues through the years and obviously our supporters that make our work possible. Uh, but Judicial Watch has been around a long time, and we will be around a long time, trying to support uh, the rule of law, protect the Constitution, and uh, defend the rights of the American people. And um, by the way, this is a great shirt. Judicial Watch, you can show judicial, you know, I don't know if this is as popular as a MAGA hat, but it ought to be. Uh, but Judicial Watch paraphernalia is available online. You should go online and buy it. Uh, this shirt is one of our new shirts. We had a blue model. Now this is the red model. So this is our logo. And on the back is our, is our um, motto because no one is above the law. Can you see it? And uh, I encourage you to show 
I encourage you to show your support for Judicial Watch by you know, buying our buying our merchandise, a portion of which obviously goes to support our work, but obviously support our work directly as well, because there's no one in Washington doing the work we're doing, doing the heavy lifting, the Herculean task of keeping this government accountable to you, the American people. Thanks for joining us this week, and I'll see you next week here on Judicial Watch's weekly update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.